Well, good morning. Man, that just gives me chills, I'm telling you. He said it never gets old, and it's true. It just never gets old. Even on my, my way here, I was, I was thinking about the last time I, I worshipped with y'all, and it's been a couple years, and I just, I'm just always excited to come worship here. Because that, I'm telling you, I'm standing there, and then the, when the first, the prophetic song came on, and the people, you guys just started coming up, I just got chills, I had to put my, my sleeves down, and <laughs> it's awesome, I love it, I love it, it's awesome. So I'm so blessed to be here this morning, though, I'm so blessed to be with you guys, and thank you, uh, you're, you're, li- you're right, the lights are bright, um, <laughs> but, but I like it. <laughs> so uh, anyways, thank you for having me, I'm so excited to be here. And uh, I'm just going to give an update. I'm here in the States. I've been here for about a m- month and a half, maybe. And um, I'm not sure how long I'll be here. And so I'm going to give you an update on our ministry, but I also want to take some time to update you on my family situation as well. And so it's been probably two and a half years since I've been here. I, I don't know. It's been a while. And a, lot's ha- a lot has happened in, uh, in those two years. Amen. And uh, a lot has happened in the world and also um, in my life and in my ministry as well. So I'm excited to kind of share that with you guys. So um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex Baxter. And uh, I've been serving in the Philippines as a full-time missionary for five years. It'll be five years on June 16th. So what is that, next week? And so that'll be my five year. Five years ago, I I bought a one-way ticket to the Philippines, and I I went (laughs) and never looked back. And so here in the picture is my wife, Angela. You guys have not met her yet. And the last time I was here, I I had mentioned a prayer request that we were struggling with visa issues. And uh, I'm sad to say we're still dealing with these visa issues. And so we've been working on this for about two years now. And so my daughter, Ruth, by the way, uh, her name's Abigail. We call her Ruth. And so she's 18 months old, but she has her U.S. citizenship, but my wife, however, has been denied her visa. So we, we've been working on getting her, like, U.S. citizenship because we want to expand our ministry into Vietnam. I talked about that last time I was here. We really feel called to use the Philippines as a hub and go out to closed countries and persecute Christians. If we do that, my wife needs to have her U.S. citizenship because if we go to Vietnam and get deported, it's just going to be a disaster. And so she needs to be an American so that we can keep our family together. And uh, in order to do that, she needs to come here. Well, she had her final visa interview, I think, in, in late March or early April. And um, long story short, the interviewer just kind of had a chip on his shoulder, you know, and just didn't like her. And, and uh, there were some issues with me being a missionary and me being in the Philippines. And he uh, did not permanently reject her. But he gave her a temporary rejection. And he said, what needs to happen is I need to come back to the States without her. And I need to get a job. Like, well, he said a, a real job. <laughs> not, not being a missionary. He said a real job. And I need to have a house and a car and a few other things. And after like three months, we need to send proof of all that in. And then they'll make the decision. So I'm back here trying to get all this stuff together. They're still in the Philippines just waiting. <laughs> so if you guys would just pray for that situation, that is, it is a, a heavy situation. And um, especially pray for Angela. You know, for me, I'm here, I'm going to churches, I'm working, I'm doing, I'm finding a house. And uh, she's just kind of waiting. And, you know, the Philippines, if you don't know this, has one of the strictest lockdowns in the world until now. And there's no, vac- well, there's some vaccines, but not really many vaccines. And until now, 
if you're over 65 and under, I think, 18 or 21, you're not allowed to leave the house at all. Like, you're not allowed to go outside. So our daughter has not been out for like a year and a half. And she was, th- I think, well, like three months old or something when the pandemic started. So she's not really been around other people besides my wife's family. She hasn't been around other kids. And, um, you know, they're very limited, even adults, like, like me. We're very limited on where we can go and what we can do. You can go to grocery, you can go to the drugstore. So they're just kind of waiting. So pray for them to sort of, you know, at least give them something to do. Uh, you know, keep their, uh, keep their, their minds um, focused on, on what's going on. So, because it's, it's, it's rough there right now. And so pray for her. Pray for that situation. She's watching right now, by the way, um, online. She texted me this morning and asked if, if um, you guys are streaming. So. <laughs> So anyways, uh, that's our situation. That's why I'm here without my wife. And, you know, this is like the second time since we've been married I've been back. And, pe- and I always have, like, a reason why she's not here. And people are starting to say, like, is she, is she real? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, there's always a reason why she's not here. I mean, we see pictures, but, no, she is real, I promise. Um, you can call her if you want, and I can send you pictures. So anyways, that's our situation. And again, please just keep, like, I, you know, sometimes you go to churches and you know if people are going to pray for you or if they're going to say, yeah, okay. And like, I know that you guys would pray for us. So please keep that in your prayer because that is a heavy situation. And pray for, for that guy, for the, the immigration agent. You know, pray that the Lord would soften his heart to our situation and the Lord would just somehow speak to him and uh, to let that go through. Because even once we do all this stuff, it's not guaranteed that he will say yes. And it's totally up to him. So pray for him, you know, and um, pray that he would find the Lord. So anyways, that's our situation. I'm so excited to get Angela here and start meeting everybody. And, of course, our daughter. And she's uh, walking and talking and jumping and running and and, uh, all the things that toddlers do. And so that's exciting. So that's our family situation. I want to talk about ministry a little bit now. Um, That's just another picture. (laughs) Because why not? You have to. That, that, that's my first ministry, okay? So, yeah, like I said, she's 18 months old. That was the picture we had applied for her U.S. citizenship back in February, and in nine days, she got granted. So it was the, we were really blessed with that. So she didn't know what was happening, but she was excited anyway. Um, <laughs> she didn't have a clue. But anyways, um, our ministry. So a lot has happened since I've been back, uh, or since I've been gone, I mean. A lot has happened ministry-wise, a lot of really exciting stuff. And so one of the things that I did right after I went back to the Philippines the last time was we, my wife and I started our own ministry. And we had talked about that, and I had I'd mentioned that last time I was in the States, that we were really praying. We had been praying for a long time about starting our own ministry because we knew that the time was coming. I had been working with a pastor and working with a church in the Philippines, and that was a season of equipping and learning and we knew that it was time, you know, for us to go out and apply what, what we learned, right? And so we started really praying. And what we came up with was this ministry called Kapit Bahai, which translates to Neighbors, okay, Neighbors International. So um, as we sort of were praying for the Lord's direction of what kind of ministry we were doing. Um, I w- really received sort of this really cool vision um, of the Philippines becoming a hub of missionaries to to closed countries, which you guys know that that's my heart is closed countries, and like me and my wife personally want to serve to closed countries. And I started doing some research and realized 
around the Philippines are 17 closed countries, like severely persecuted closed countries. The Philippines, if you don't know this, is one of the most religiously free countries in the world. Uh, like it, and it is the top religiously free country in Asia. I mean, you can just do whatever you want. Now, there's other issues, but like as far as religion and Christianity go, like nobody really cares. Right, now, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean that everyone's reached. Um, it just means you can reach people without worrying about going to jail, you know. And so it's very free. And uh, you can go there and you can train people and you can do what you want. Uh, and you don't have to worry about getting deported. And you don't have to worry about getting killed or arrested or whatever. And so I had this vision of the Philippines becoming a hub uh, and, and Filipino missionaries just going out and to these close countries. And, and I really just kind of saw that, you know, in my mind just happening, like these people just going to like, Brunei and Vietnam and Thailand and Laos and Myanmar and Cambodia and China and Japan. Um, we don't think of Japan as being an unreached country, but it is. It is. And uh, we, we don't really think about it, but it is. And there's just tons of them. And so that paired with this other vision of a local-led ministry. And I kind of had this, like, existential crisis where I was, like, I kind of realized, like, I read a book called When Helping Hurts and then another one called Toxic Charity. And it kind of talks about when you go to foreign countries and do everything yourself and it actually is, is counterproductive. And I kind of had this like moment of like, what am I doing? And um, I realized there's nothing wrong with going to, 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 to these countries and being a missionary, um, but you want it to be sustainable and you want to help them do it themselves. And I realized in the Philippines, there are plenty of people who are able and willing to do the work they just need a platform. They just need a little bit of direction, a little bit of oversight, right? Um, just, just something. And so I don't want to be the guy that plants a church in the Philippines for 20 years and just pastors it till I retire and come home and it falls apart, right? I want to equip and mobilize the locals. So that is, that is my, my, my vision is equipping and mobilizing locals to do the work themselves. And then I can be more efficient and more effective with my time because I can move on and do that with another group of locals. And then they can be doing that with another group of locals. So you guys with me? So that is our, what our ministry is on my side, is equipping and mobilizing the locals. And what I'm really praying for is that we'll see missionaries from the Philippines going to places like Vietnam and equipping and mobilizing the locals and then moving on to other places, right? And I had that vision. I, I told this story um, last time I was here. Uh, about in Vietnam, I, I went to Vietnam for like two weeks, and I was talking to one of the pastors of a huge underground church, and like I was on the motorcycle, I told that story, you know, <laughs> I like didn't know if it was real or not, and it was a whole thing, and uh, it was one of my favorite stories to tell, and I won't tell it again, but um, that the one of the pastors of that church, you know, we were talking, and I was asking him like, what kind of missionaries do you need here, what kind of ministry, he said, we don't need people to come tell us about God, we need people to train the Christians how to tell people about God because you know they they hear like uh, Billy Graham or you know the radio evangelists which are great and they get saved but then there's just nothing after that you know there's just no like real discipleship and they don't know what to do so that is how that vision came came to be and I said we need to be training locals how to do this and because they're willing like if you guys have been to a place like Vietnam like, the Christians, they may not know, like, a lot of theology. They, might, they may ne never have been discipled, but, man, they are more on fire than anyone you've ever seen. And, uh, I mean, it's just like, if you give them the tools and you equip them, man, 
who knows what could happen? You know, that's like when we start seeing revivals, right? And so that's like what we're after, right? It's like, an, like a global revival. And so anyway, that's my side of the ministry. And that's what I, my vision, that's what the Lord was calling me to do, my wife to do. So we started that for the first in the Philippines, okay? And we put together a, a team about two years ago, a small team, and I just said, here's my vision for this ministry. I want to work with you guys, and I want you guys to start the ministry. I'm going to hold your hand while you do it. And they said, sure. And so that's how Kapit Bahai came to be, okay? And so what that looks like um, is, uh, well, we train missionaries. Our mission and vision, we train missionaries, provide a platform for sustainable local-led ministries throughout Southeast Asia. So not, we don't want to just stop in the Philippines. Our vision is to see sustainable and efficient ministries thriving in Asia. And um, here's our objectives. We want to assist in sustainable community development. And so we're sort of mixing that humanitarian work, that mercy ministry, compassion ministry in with this. And that's sort of the DNA of our ministry is, is just loving people, right? Which is what I've, you know, a lot of our ministries over the past couple of years have been looking like. Uh, we want to help in, in planting community-minded churches, and train and raise up strong community leaders, and then eventually send Filipino missionaries to close countries. And uh, then why the Philippines? Well, I already talked about that. And um, so that's what our ministry looks like. So we started this ministry, and it started with, like, me and three other young people, all under the age of 25, who were just, like, on fire, you know. And, and so one of them, uh, Eddie, he's one of my good buddies, and he's a Bible school student. He's in school for pastoral theology, and um, he's also, like, helping pastor a small church. And, and then uh, we've got one, Hannah, and she, she's, she just works in marketing, you know. And, and, she, and I met her through uh, Navigator's Bible study that I've talked about here. And uh, she just wanted to, like, really do ministry like this. And so she joined. And, and uh, it's grown over the past couple of years, but those are, were some of our first, the first people I talked to about this. And so here's our team. Our team in the past two years has grown from four, including me, to 19. Or 19. And so that's including me and my wife. And, and so that's, uh, that's exciting. And this is, we have a couple of different teams. And so these are a couple, all of our teams. And um, it's so exciting. And they're all, except for two of them, under the age of 25. So they're all young, right? Like, like young, and over the age of 20, under the age of 25. And uh, these are just people who just want to do ministry, you know. And so, again, what we've done is held their hands and, and started the ministry with them and encouraged them to take ownership of this ministry. And so now that I'm here in the States, this ministry still exists, and they're just killing it, you know. Now, it's hard right now because we're on lockdown in the Philippines and very limited on what we can do and what we can't do. And which is very frustrating uh, ministry-wise. And so, but they are just doing a great job and because they've been equipped and because it's their ministry that they're taking ownership of. And not only that, and I'm going to share with you guys a really cool blessing. Uh, by the way, what I've been doing too, and this was a, a cool thing, back last year when the, in the height of the pandemic, we weren't allowed to do anything. Even ministry, we could have church service. Even like we wanted to do feeding programs, like, to bring food to people who had lost their jobs because of the pandemic, we weren't allowed to. And um, so I was like, well, what are we going to do? Well, we did a leadership training, and uh, we started every Thursday night. We did a ministry leadership training, and I think we started with one, two, three, 
like eight, some of them were guests, but we had like eight people that we started with, and that was a six-month leadership training, and I trained some, and I had some other friends of mine, pastors and missionaries, and um, they all finished, and then they joined the ministry, and, and now we're going to be starting another one this July, and so that's really exciting. So we're seeing this training and people coming and wanting to be trained and wanting to like understand sort of the, <laughs> the underbelly of ministry, you know, sort of the, the deep, dark uh, corners of ministry. No, the, the underworkings of ministry. They want to know how it really works. But um, one of the coolest things that has happened since we started this ministry, and this is, I mean, I just get giddy when I think about it. So for some context, when I started, um, what I did was I called a couple people. Actually, I called Eddie, which is this guy in this picture, and he was with me. He was the first guy that said, I'm with you. And I said, I want you to get people to come to a vision casting. I want to cast vision for this ministry, and I want to get like a, a core group or a core team. He said, all right. So he called some people, and we met with like, I don't know, there were like eight of us or something, including me and him, and we met in a little tiny conference room in the back of a cafe. It was across the street from my house. We paid like $10 to rent it for the night. And I like was walking across the street with my TV from my house to like put it up. And, you know, like my wife was cooking spaghetti and bringing it over just to feed him. And, and it was just this little tiny conference room. And, and we were all squished in there. And he invited people and they came. And like he and I just cast vision, right? And just like talked about like what the Lord was calling us to do. And out of that group, like four of them joined. So four out of six, so not bad. And four of them joined, and they joined the ministry, and that was our first, like, core group. Well, this year, in January or February, I said, I think it's time to add some more people because we don't just want to, like, have 100 people we, about quality over quantity, right? And so I said, let's add more people. Let's have a vision casting. And then they said, our core group, the ones that I cast vision to a year and a half ago or two years ago, said, can we do it? And yeah, of course. So I, I stayed out of it, and they cast a vision. They held a vision casting in February to 12 more people. And, like, I didn't do anything. And it was such a cool thing because I was just sitting in the corner. We had it in, like, my friend's church. And I just sat in the back, and, like, this group of people who I had just cast vision to at this point a year and a half ago were now casting the same vision and casting it with the same, you know, the, the same conviction and the same passion and that same vision that came, not from me, it didn't come from me, it came from the Lord, obviously, and so, you know, they were casting that same vision, and it was really affirming, and it was just so exciting and encouraging to see them casting this vision, and people responding to it, right, like, they're not just, like, talking about it, people are responding and getting excited, I mean, I, people were calling us, like, we're so excited for this, and that, that has been, I know it's like not this crazy story on the back of a motorcycle in Vietnam, but that has been the single most encouraging thing that has happened in my ministry, was to see that group of people cast that vision for that ministry and people respond to it. Because now we are like legitimately seeing disciples making disciples. And my vision, my dream, and my prayer for our ministry is that next year, that other group of people will cast vision to 15 more people. Amen. So pray for that. Pray for that group of people. They will be discipled. And I've asked them. I've asked this core group to disciple them totally. I'm not doing it. Because this is the vision for the ministry, and it's happening already. So it's so exciting. I'm, I'm just so excited about what's happening. And, and like I said, there, uh, 
they're still in the Philippines, and they're just killing it. They're just on it. I mean, they're doing a great job. And so continue to pray for them. Pray for Eddie. He is sort of my point man. He runs the show when I'm gone. And he, he's only 22 years old. And um, he's just on fire for the Lord. And uh, so keep, keep Eddie in your prayers. And uh, he's, he's a great guy. So anyway, the, the ministry looks like a little bit different. So we're a parachurch ministry. So we partner with other churches. Okay, we're not a church. And so we recognize that since we're not a church, well, obviously the church is, it takes priority over, over the parachurch, right? So it's important that whatever ministry we do, we're partnering with local churches to help them and strengthen them and lift them up, right? And so what, the way that this looks like in the Philippines, and of course this will look different if we try to do this in Vietnam or something because the needs are different, but I realized there's so many churches in the Philippines, I don't know if anyone here has been to the Philippines. Probably not. But there are so many churches everywhere. I mean, you just look around and there's churches everywhere. But they're all dead. And it's so confusing. And what has happened is in the 70s, all these missionaries came to the Philippines. And they planted all these churches. And they left. And now there's all these churches, Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, non-denominational churches, all kinds of churches that exist and there's like four people, and it's like the, the family of the pastor, you know, and that's like it. And the reason is because they don't know what they're doing, you know. They've never really been discipled. They've never really been trained. They don't know about evangelism. They don't know about community engagement. And so what we want to do is work with churches to help them bring that sort of community-mindedness into their church because— like, what is a church? If you're not engaging your community, if you're not lifting your community up and showing the love of God through your identity as a church to the community, then what are you doing? Amen? And I don't say that in like a mean way, but it's just true. Like that's biblical. That's the Bible, right? And so uh, most of the time they know that. And there, of course, are always people who don't know that and whatever. But we work with churches, and we want to help them bring that community-mindedness, and that sort of humanitarian touch. I'm a huge believer in mercy ministries. Like, I totally believe that, like, we have to help people, right? And that's, like, how people can see the love of God is through meeting their felt needs. And there's some people who don't agree with that, and that's okay, but, but I really believe in mercy ministries. And so we, we want to help local churches in the Philippines start mercy ministries. And so not all the churches that we work with are dead churches, this church, for example, that I'm going to talk about uh, is a friend of mine, and he's an American missionary. He's planted this church. It's a great church, but they weren't doing mercy ministries. And so he actually asked me to partner with them, and they were doing a little bit, but they really, really wanted to engage their community. So we started partnering with them. So th they're not always dead churches. But um, anyways, this picture is from an event we actually did last year, and it was uh, we did free haircuts. And it sounds wild. It sounds wild, but it worked. And so we just said, we were like trying to figure out, like, how can we reach men? Because this, um, this church, he's a very good friend of mine, Calvin, they planted this church, and then they were in this other, like, really poor community, and they started doing feeding programs somehow, because it's sort of outside of Manila, so there aren't very many police there. And so they were able to do feeding programs when the pandemic started, and they planted a church in this community during the height of the pandemic. 
Amen. And so they planted this church, and it's like outside of Manila a little bit, and it's in this like sort of rural, uh, very poor area, and the church just happened. Like they weren't even trying to plant a church, and it just existed all of a sudden. And they realized all the people that were coming, and what they were doing, by the way, was they started every Sunday, they would just bring food. Because, like, people needed food, right? Like, so many people lost their jobs. And then they realized that, oh, this is a great opportunity to, like, obviously preach the gospel. So they started preaching, and people were, like, really coming and listening. And so what they started doing was every week weaning them off and, like, bringing less and less food to the point that they just stopped bringing food, and everybody just kept coming. And so there's like 100 people or 120 people that were coming every Sunday, even if they weren't bringing stuff. And it just happened, you know? And so it was really cool. And what they realized was it's all women. Like literally all but four or five of them were women. How can we reach the men? How can we reach the fathers? And I said, let's have a free, let's get free haircuts and see if they show up. And um, we did, we put up a sign in front of the place that they do their, their services, and it just says, free haircut, 100 men, Saturday, 9 a.m. And we had, we were turning people down. Like, so many guys came. And we had old guys, we had young guys, we had guys who had been transitioned to be a woman. And, I mean, we just had all kinds of people show up. And they just loved it. And, I mean, haircuts in the Philippines literally cost a dollar. Like, literally. And they give you a back massage at the end of it. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> like, and so I was like, I don't know. Are people like really going to you know, come? And people just loved it because they loved the fellowship. And they loved seeing people. They were in the pandemic. And they got to get pampered a little bit. You know, and they just loved it. So what we did was we gave them a free haircut. We had coffee. And they got to sit down. And they got to do counseling if they wanted to be counseled. And we prayed with each one of them. And then we talked to them. And like, we really taught, like, spent time with them. Right. And they loved it. And um, so these are just like these sort of like <laughs> funny ministry, thi- uh, you know, opportunities that we've had. And they sound goofy, but like they work and people love them. And so this is like what we're doing is just loving on people and using these opportunities to like, meet these needs. We didn't meet like a physical need. Like we didn't give them food, but we met like, I think, an emotional need. You know, they needed that fellowship and they needed to like be with other guys, be with other men you know, and, and like have that fellowship, and um, they responded to it. I mean, they just loved it, and there's so many men that started coming every Sunday because of that, and so uh, that was a great ministry opportunity. Another thing that we started doing is, you know, we really want to help these communities that we're working with, like really help them, and, and so if I talk about sustainable community development, that's like a big word for me. Uh, sustainability is actually my word if you're talking about in ministry, And what we want to do is help communities, like, really help them help themselves, right? And so it's great to, like, bring food. It's great to do feeding programs or whatever. But what we've learned is this is, like, a generational issue. And churches and ministries keep giving people food to the point that they just wait for another church to bring them food. And um, right now, of course, there's a pandemic and things are, like, different. So it's it's different, right? But... But as much as possible, like, we don't want to just give them free stuff. We want to help them make their lives better. And so the way that we realized we could do that is by doing skills training in these communities. And, you know, there, there are some people who, just like in America, who would much rather wait for someone to bring them food 
that exists everywhere in the world. But we have had an overwhelmingly positive response from people who, you know, they take food because they have to, but they want to earn it, and they just don't know how. And what we also learned is people have really low self-esteem for some reason in these communities, right? And so, like, we started doing soap-making training. We taught women how to make homemade soap. And that started as a self-esteem builder, right? Because, like, they wouldn't even, they didn't have enough confidence to, like, think that they could do anything, you know? And we were talking to people in the community and realized there are guys who can be mechanics. They know how to work on cars. All they have to do is slap a sign in their garage that says mechanic. People will go there. They didn't have the confidence to do it, right? So, like, there were a lot of people with skills, and they just didn't have the self-esteem and the confidence to use those skills. And so we said, how can we build self-esteem? And so we taught women how to make homemade soap. Because that's cool, right? Like, when you can, like, start and make, in, in 30 minutes, make homemade soap, you're like, wow, I made this. That's pretty cool. And so we had a woman from a church that we partner with. Her name is Nico. And she figured out how to make homemade soap, like, just out of household materials. Like, super cool stuff. And so, because I said, you know, my mom made, used to make homemade soap when I was a kid. And she'd have to get, like, all these chemicals and all this fancy stuff from the store. And she had, like, a little shed in the back that she'd cook the, make the soap. And she'd, like, have her gloves on and stuff. And we can't train them how to do that, you know. And so Nico figured out how to use homemade ingredients and homemade supplies and make homemade soap. And we trained, I think, 60 women how to make homemade soap. And now what we're going to do is train them. We have a four-part a four course. We'll be training them. On, um, on marketing, budgeting, online selling, and business management. Because now they're saying, we can make soap. We want to sell it. We want to make a business out of this. So we're going to train them how to use this as a livelihood. So this is a huge part, becoming a huge part of our ministry is livelihood training. And that's sort of been the DNA of our ministry ever since. Is like, even when we're working with churches, like we still, as much as possible, want this to be sustainable, right? We don't want to have a... a, a uh, counterproductive effect on these communities, right? And so, again, everything we do is through a local church. Like, I totally believe that that is, that is a priority, and we have to work with them. We have to go through them. And so we do. And um, we partner with them, and, they, and that's a great chance for them, like, to just be able to focus on discipling these people and, and preaching to these people, you know? And so it's, it's just a really, really beautiful thing that we're seeing kind of come together. Um, another thing that I want to talk about is, uh, maybe some of you have seen on Facebook last year, we did Adopt a Community program for Christmas last year. And um, this was for, basically we realized, uh, it's the same in the States, that during the holidays, like suicide and depression rates skyrocket, right? Like even here, you know, I mean, I've known that for a long time. In the Philippines, during the pandemic, everyone had lost their jobs. We were seeing depression just going up a crazy amounts, even before the holiday season. And, I mean, people were killing themselves. And people were severely depressed. People were getting possessed, you know. I mean, and they were killing other people. And, I mean, it was just, like, crazy. And I, I believe it's spiritual warfare, you know. And uh, just crazy stuff happening. And so, you know, it was a, it was a result of, of course, living in a severely impoverished place and also being in the middle of a pandemic. 
and uh, not having food and not having basic soap or whatever. And then Christmas is coming, and now they can't even have dinner for their kids on Christmas. They can't even buy a gift. So I said something crazy. I said, I want to buy Christmas gifts and food for, for entire communities this year. And I told my team that, and they said, no way. <laughs> and, I, and they said, how much money do we need? And I told them. They said, no way. And so I started in, I think, like October, raising money um, for this. And we, basically our goal was 300 families, which would be about 900 to 1,200 people that I wanted to buy food for and I wanted to buy Christmas gifts for. And so we launched uh, the Adopt-A-Community program. And uh, basically we were asking churches to adopt one of these communities and to help us make this happen. And um, we hit our goal by November. And amen. And it was, I mean, it was just awesome. And we have seen so much fruit come from that program. And um, I just, I'm so excited. It was, we did throughout December, we did three different communities and we worked with churches in each community. And we did 300 families, uh, give or take a few. And that month was just an awesome month. Some of them we even had to wait till after Christmas because the communities were on lockdown. But we were able to give a pack of food, which was enough for about a week, and then also like enough to have a special Christmas dinner, right? And uh, we were able to give a pack of food, and then we gave each kid, whoops, we, we gave each kid a toy, and you see on the left side here, like literally all they were were like Dollar Tree toys that you would see, like I'm not kidding, and, and I think we paid like 50 cents a toy or something. They're not even that much. And their faces, like, they were just overjoyed with these, like, dollar toys. Like, those little samurai swords, you know, that you, you get at the Dollar Tree or, like, I don't know what else. Uh, just little tiny plastic balls or, or a, a baseball bat, a plastic baseball bat. Just, like, little flimsy plastic stuff. And we gave each kid one toy. And I know that they don't look happy in these pictures. And, and, <laughs> and the reason... For context is they were not supposed to be there. And so cameras are like not welcome during the pandemic because kids weren't allowed to supposed to be outside of their house during this time. So they were like, why are you taking pictures of us? Um, so that's why they don't look happy. I promise you they were. I've, I've had every church I've gone to since I've been back. I really want to talk about this. I'm like, man, they all look sad in these pictures. Um, they were sad though, but they were happy during that time. And, um, I mean, they were just ecstatic to get these toys, and their parents were so happy. And, and, I mean, I remember the parents just coming and saying, thank you, our, our kids got a toy, you know, and we get to eat. And we made, a, we made a video, and I wish I would have brought it. I didn't think about showing it. But, you know, we asked some of the people to give testimonies, and they, they were saying, and it's just crazy to think about this, but they were saying, thank you, because we have food, like, to eat on Christmas. And it's just such a crazy thing to think about, right? Like, being thankful just to, like, have food on Christmas. And um, so we were really intentional with how we did this and how we communicated this to these people. We didn't say that this came from us. We said this came from God. Like, we said that. We were very, very intentional to say this came from God. And what happened was we had 300 families, 900 people who were in, in the worst time of their lives. They're living in an impoverished place. They're living during a pandemic. They don't have work. They don't have food for Christmas. And what that translated to was, God's got my back. Amen? 
And that's what happened. And it was so cool. Uh, Eddie, the guy I talked about earlier, went around and asked people to give testimonies on video. And I watched them afterward. And like all of them said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And it was just so, so cool to see that these people like, because I was, this was all theory. And I was saying, I really hope that the Lord speaks to them through this. Right. And when I just watched that video, it was so affirming because I said, the Lord spoke to them. Amen. Because they said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And, and it was just such a cool thing. And we've seen fruits. We've had 22 people baptized from one of these communities since then, last March, mostly kids. And so uh, most of them are going to church or somehow in some capacity worshiping. You know, it looks a lot different in the Philippines. Um, this would already, we'd already be busted by the FBI. Um, <laughs> but they are worshiping in some capacity. And, and so we're going to do that again this year. I'm, I'm, I'm just, that was my, my heart was just overjoyed with that. So um, anyways, I just wanted to share like some of the highlights with you guys. Like, because I just want to celebrate what the Lord's been doing, right? And so those are just some of the people that we helped. And, and um, anyway, so th- I want to say thank you guys. And I want to say thank you for your prayers, for your support and your encouragement. And I just want to encourage you guys. I want to tell a quick story. I told Pastor Tom, and I, I really wanted to share it with you guys. Um, and, and I just love you guys so much. And, and my wife even knows of you guys as like being the, the, the cool church. Because the, the reason is because last year when the pandemic started and the churches in the states closed, we lost a lot of support, like a lot of support. And the reason was because a lot of churches that were supporting us were very small churches. And there was like a lot of panic. I wasn't here during that time, obviously, but I know that there's a lot of panic. A lot of people are freaking out. And a lot of churches, especially these like little tiny country churches, you know, they're barely making it already. And a lot of times they have like one missionary that they support or two missionaries. And, and so uh, then a lot of people lost their jobs, right? People were getting laid off because of the pandemic. Like weird things were happening. And we lost, I think, 40 or 50 percent of support. And, um, you know, I'm not legally allowed to work in the Philippines. And we had had our baby, of course. And and um, all that on top of being on like home quarantine. And uh, it was not a, a great time. And um, I I'd even started teaching English online, like just to make, you know, sort of make things work. And we were really praying like, Lord, provide, because like, I didn't want to have to come back to the States. If I came back to the States, I knew I wouldn't be able to get back to the Philippines, not to mention, like, my family's there, and at the time, none of this visa and stuff had happened yet, and we were kept praying, like, Lord, don't make me go back to the States. <laughs> like, don't make, like, and I was, like, trying to raise support from churches, and uh, it just wasn't happening, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I just kept praying, like, Lord, Lord, don't make me go home yet. And I remember nights that I would just stay up all night. My wife would wake up 3 a.m. And she'd say, are you okay? I'm fine. And uh, just thinking about money again, you know, money. And um, out of nowhere, I hadn't told anybody about this. And by the way, everything's fine now, okay? So, um, but I hadn't told anybody about this at all, like except for my wife. And because I knew that everyone was struggling. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. Like, I'm not the only one having a hard time. And also, like, being in the Philippines and seeing the way that people suffer puts things into perspective, right? Like, so I wasn't complaining. I was stressed out. But I wasn't telling people about it because everyone was going through the same thing. 
And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Pastor Tom emailed me or messaged me on Facebook. He said, hey, we want to bless you. Uh, can, can, you know, can we send you a check? I said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, sent, he sent a check, and we got it a couple weeks later or something. And I, and I, I remember telling my wife, I said, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, I know that they are very loving, very generous, and, and it was enough to pay our rent for, like, six months. <laughs> Amen? And I hadn't, told, I hadn't told Pastor Tom about it. I hadn't told Pastor Eric. I didn't tell anybody that we were struggling. And, like, you guys know, when your rent's paid for six months, that's, all, that's like, a huge burden. Because, like, I can figure out how to eat. You know, I can... I, I can just not drive and not use gas. Like, we got to pay rent. And we had, we had our rent paid for six months out of the blue. And so I wanted to tell you guys that story, and I told Pastor Tom that. That just was so exciting. And I remember telling my wife, uh, you know, like, yeah, this church. And I was telling her, and, and now she's like, oh, you're going, you're going to that church. You know, and, and uh, but we, I'm telling you, you guys, that was just so encouraging to us. And not only because, like, of course, our, our, our financial need was met, but, like, I'm telling you, as a missionary, there is nothing more encouraging than someone saying, I was thinking about you, and I wanna, we want to bless you. Yeah, right? Because, right? like, it's just, I realize, like, we're not alone here. Yeah. You know? I mean, and, and if I'm being honest and being transparent, like, we really struggled spiritually as well during that time and emotionally. And, and my wife and I both were really having a hard time. And, um, you know, that was just so encouraging for us. And it was just right at the right timing. And I know that it wasn't Pastor Tom, you know, and I know it wasn't Pastor Eric. I mean, it was, but that was the Lord working through them, of course. And, but, you know, I just, for some reason, the Lord has chosen you guys to be an enormous blessing in our lives. And I just wanted to share that encouragement with you guys. And it's just so happy for me. It's so exciting for me. And I want to continue to encourage you guys. You know, the Bible, when it talks about the Great Commission and reaching people and going to all nations, it doesn't just say, if you're called to be a missionary. That's a command for everybody, yeah. right? Like, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're commanded to what? Go to all nations and, and, and disciple people and, and, and baptize them and disciple them, right? Yeah. And so, obviously, not all of us are called to go to the Philippines. But we are all called to do that in some capacity, right? So some of us are prayers. Well, we should all be prayers. We should all be praying, but some more than others. Some of us support. And by the way, when I say the word support, that doesn't mean just giving money. That could mean emotional support, spiritual support, physical support. Like maybe someone actually needs physical help, right? That could be supporting them. Or again, like Pastor Eric sometimes would just message me and say, I'm praying for you guys. Like that's support. And that's super encouraging. And that's not just to missionaries, but other people as well. Even people here in Newcastle, they need you to say, I'm praying for you. Right? They, again, support. Saying, what can I do for you? What do you need? You know, how can I pray for you? People need you to pray for them. Most people don't even know that you did pray for them, but they need you to pray for them, they need you to support them, and they need you to encourage them, right? And that's, that's what I want to encourage you guys, is continue encouraging people. Of course, missionaries. You've got to encourage missionaries, but encourage each other. 
right? And you guys are all very encouraging, and I'm encouraged when I come here. And um, I just want to just give that reminder to just keep encouraging each other, even non-believers, but believers as well, your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm super encouraged by your story, Brother Mike. Like, and, and we can encourage each other through these, like, crazy stories, right? You can encourage, like, that's a huge, awesome testimony, right? And so I just want to encourage you guys. That's how we can still fulfill our Great Commission, right? Even here in Newcastle, Indiana. Pray, support, and encourage. Amen? Thank you guys so much. And I, wanna, I just want to pray with you guys um, before I step down. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this church. Lord, I thank you for the friendships that have come from this uh, relationship. I thank you for Pastor Tom. I thank you for Pastor Eric. Lord, I thank you for, for, for everyone else in this church who I've come to know and I've come to love, Lord, and people who have encouraged me and actively prayed for me and prayed for my wife, even encouraged my wife through me, uh, through those conversations we've had. Lord, and, and um, Lord, I just pray for, for this church, Lord. I pray that you'll just continue to bless them, Lord, and continue to just fill this place with your Holy Spirit. This is such a great church, and these people are such good people. And, and I just thank you for, for this relationship that has happened. I thank you for that one coffee chat with Pastor Tom six years ago. I thank you for that, that, that guest card that I filled out. And uh, Pastor Tom called me the next day. He thought I was a visitor and had no idea what he was getting into. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for this relationship. I thank you for this church, Lord, and I thank you for everything you're doing in the Philippines. I thank you for everything you're doing in Newcastle, Indiana, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.